to be here. Greetings from presiding Bishop Elizabeth Eaton, as well as from beautiful Savior in Tucson, where I was last weekend. May I bring your greetings to Christ Lutheran in Sedona, where I will be next weekend. Thank you, because those greetings, I think, are reminders that we are not alone individuals, but we are Lutherans, Christians with a Lutheran lens, knowing that we are better together for the sake of the gospel. So it reminds me of the story of the hunter who was walking through the woods and he saw this short guy next to this huge animal. And he said, in, well, he was amazed. He said, did you kill that animal? He said, I sure did. And he said, well, how could a little guy like you kill that huge animal? And he said, well, I killed him with my club. Your club. Well, how big is your club? He said, there are about 70 of us. So while they were a big club, we are a big church as well. In fact, the word synod means walking together. And while Pastor Steve told you that the Grand Canyon Synod is the southern half of Nevada, Arizona, and St. George, Utah, we have 65 synods in the Grand Canyon Synod. And I remember talking to my dad about this, and he said, so you mean there's 65 other bishops? And I said, yes. He said, well, you're no big deal. So... <laughs> You do not exist here in Scottsdale by yourself. You are connected, and we are created by God to be this way. I'd also like to take a moment to say thank you for your partnership with the Grand Canyon Synod. Our gifts put together are able to do things that we could not do necessarily on our own. You have an incredible impact. And a part of that mission and ministry support is me and the people who serve on the Grand Canyon Synod staff. So thank you for your prayers, for your resources, for your words of encouragement. God does good through you. So grace and peace from God in whom we live and move and have our being. So since we're so close to Reformation and All Saints Day, I have to share this story about a pastor who hosted a, uh, he called it a Reformation party, but he invited the kids to come to the church. The only caveat was is they could do trick-or-treating there, but they had to dress up as a saint. So the day came, and the kids started coming through, and they identified themselves. St. Joseph, St. Clair, St. Joan of Arc, St. Joseph, St. Francis of Assisi, and then comes this little one who's got a dog costume on. And the pastor said, I'm really glad you're here but what saint are you? And he said, I'm St. Bernard. <laughs> so after Holy Week, I would have to say that All Saints Sunday is one of my favorite festivals. It's one of those times when we have like communal permission to grieve. It's one of the times we take to really reflect on the last year of those saints who have gone before us, the people who we have loved and who we have released into God's care. Notice I didn't say loved and lost because they are not lost. They are never lost. They are released into the presence of God. And as people of faith, we believe they as well as we, are in God's safekeeping. 
So today, we also juxtapose our sense of grief with also this sense of thankfulness for their lives, for their witness to God's love in the world, those who lived as disciples, not in perfection, but with all of their humanity, whose lives have influenced our lives or the church or our communities or our families. And I think we're also given permission to understand that our unique perspective of Christians with Lutheran theological perspective believes that we are always 100% sinner and 100% saint made that way by God. So we come to today's gospel reading from Luke. And if we just step back, the gospel of Luke, the whole theme throughout is how God's kingdom comes to reverse all of the things that we think are normal. Luke's message is focused on the Gentiles, people who do not know about God or Jesus' death, life, and resurrection, and how growing in discipleship means being more firmly grounded in Jesus. But all that being said, I have to confess to you, there are some things I don't want to hear and I don't like to hear because they're terrifying and they make me confront my own life. So the Gospel of Luke in chapter 1 starts out with the Magnificat, Mary's words. If you've heard it set to music, you know how beautiful it is. But in its beauty, I think we forget about the revolutionary message that's being proclaimed by this teenager. That Jesus, that God has come through Jesus to scatter the proud in their thoughts. That bringing down the powerful from their thrones and uplifting the lowly. And filling the hungry with good things and sending the rich empty away. From the very beginning, when Jesus shows up, the world gets turned upside down. And from Mary's song, we go to Luke chapter 4, where Jesus claims that his mission statement about his life, that he is sent not to the halls of power, not to the religious leaders of the day, but he is sent to proclaim good news to the poor, release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and to let the oppressed go free. You know, in our culture, well, it's in direct opposition to this message. Many believe, and we have preachers who preach this, that if you are rich, or at least if you're comfortable, happy, healthy, and successful, that you have been blessed by God. And if you aren't, well, go figure it out, because you must have done something wrong along the way. As followers of Jesus, we are taken to the places that we do not necessarily want to go. How could we want to deliberately go there? I have never really loved this passage. I don't know that I like the blessings. And then the version that we use today was about sorrow. When I looked, another uh, from the uh, NRSV version, we could look and we'll find the word woe. Pastor Joanne Taylor from Colorado got me thinking about this as she talked about them as the Beatitudes and the Woeitudes. When Jesus blesses the poor and the hungry, those who weep, those who are hated, I do not believe that Jesus is saying that we should aspire to poverty and hunger and sorrow 
or to being verbally abused. Just in our living of daily life, those things are going to find us. But I do believe that Jesus might be saying to us that God is present with us even when the world abandons us. That God loves us even when everyone else might hate us. And as saints and sinners who belong to God, we find blessing when we seek God. We find blessing when we're hungry for God, and we are blessed when we love those whom God loves. And then I think this sorrow or woe to those who are rich and well-fed and who, find, who have joy and enjoy fame and admiration, I really don't think that Jesus is saying that those are bad things. But when we start to believe and take those material possessions for granted, or worse, think that we have acquired them because we are so smart or because we've made good decisions or that we've done this by our own efforts, we abandon God. Our self-dependence may be our spiritual doom. All of the blessings are about seeking God and seeking, and all of the woes are really about seeking comfort for ourselves. We are blessed when we're God-hungry versus self-hungry. So no matter what camp you've been in when we talk about blessing and woes, we come to those last verses, and Jesus is directly talking to his audience, and that's really us then at this time. And I say to you who listen, no matter where you've put yourself up to now, you can't escape these direct commands. Every one of us is told to love our enemies, bless the people who curse us, and do good to the very people who hate us. And if someone slaps us, we're supposed to turn the other cheek. Don't misunderstand. Jesus is not saying that we should passively accept abuse. In that time and place in Palestine, striking someone on the right cheek was a backhanded slap that was intended to prove superiority. When Jesus tells us to turn and offer that left cheek to the one who insults us by assuming superiority over us, I believe that Jesus is reminding us to remember where our value is, beloved child of God, not in someone else. Likewise, when you offer your undergarment to someone who has sued you for your cloak, that would leave you stark naked. But there's no shame in being naked in first century Palestine. The shame was in causing another to be viewed to seeing another one's nakedness. Again, Jesus has turned the tables, reminding us that the kingdom of God does not play by our earthly rules. The things that we think are important, Fame and wealth and power, they mean nothing in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, love and mercy and compassion are everything. Loving our enemies is not a ticket into sainthood. Christ's love to com command to love our enemies is born out of sainthood. In the way that we are to respond to being blessed, when we're hungry for God, we want the things that God wants. And God wants every person on earth to know this love and to 
love God in return, to tell others and to invite people to know this deep love. When we're focused on spiritual wealth, money loses its power over us. And as we practice generosity, I think that we lose this desire to accumulate more than we actually need. In fact, it could be that we find we need even less than we believe we do. When we stand up for injustice or advocate on behalf of our neighbor, we affirm that every human being is loved by God and worthy in God's sight. Last week, I had a conversation with a retired pastor. We had coffee, and he'd been telling me some of the things that he's been doing since his retirement. And then as we got to the end of the conversation, and he was telling me about the new call in his life, he said, you know, I believe in climate change, and that climate change will strike hardest against people who, are, who have the least, that it will amplify hunger, poverty, and increase the risk of resource scarcity. It will exacerbate, he said, political crisis. And so he said, I've been thinking a lot and praying about, as I read the scriptures, how will God have me act? How will Jesus want me to act when people are hungry and hurting and they are right in front of me? So he said, what I can do right now is I can advocate and I can learn about climate change and I can participate in a group that regularly contacts our elected officials and hold them accountable. He said, right now I'm working with a group that's involved with energy innovation because really it's about the well-being of our community, about our children, about our neighbors, and that is indeed linked to faith. You know, you don't need to be retired to really care about the world and loving our neighbors. 16-year-old Greta Thunberg decided this week to decline the Nordic Council's Environmental Award that would have given her about $51,000. The Swedish teen said that climate change, uh, she's this climate change activist, and maybe you saw some of the words that she spoke to the United Nations, but she rejected this award because she said the climate movement doesn't need any more awards. What we need is for our politicians and the people in power to start listening to the current and best science available. We need to act differently. But here's the thing, it doesn't matter about your age. As people who are called by Jesus, we are disciples. We are called to use our voice, our hands, and our minds to love God and love our neighbor. We are called to be church together for the sake of the world. And as church together, we wrestle and we show up in places that we couldn't show up necessarily on our own. For example, through your gifts to the Grand Canyon Synod and other gifts you have made individually to ministries, you are present at two of the largest refugee camps in the world this morning, in Jordan and Dadaab as we minister to people who have had to flee their own country because of violence for their life. You are present today with people who are suffering and still grieving the loss 
of fires caused in Paradise, California last year. And when I was in New Orleans a couple weeks ago, I talked with some people who are still being helped by Lutheran disaster response in the losses from Hurricane Katrina that are over 10 years ago, where the media long left and it's forgotten our memories, but they live with this on a day-to-day -day basis with neighborhoods that are still being rebuilt. In this synod, you are participating in ministries that serve people who are hungry and who weep and who are wandering and wondering like Native American urban ministry that meets in Phoenix for the Native population and many of the people who have been drawn there are fighting addiction and are trying to stay sober and clean. Some are homeless and they find their way to that location to worship on a regular basis and it keeps them going. Or Lutheran Social Services of Nevada or the Southwest as they feed the hungry and the homeless and for those who are wandering, students on our campuses, we have Lutheran campus ministry. And because of our generosity, we're able to provide ministry to students who wonder, what does the future hold? As they question about life and as they come up and hold their academics against their growing into life and learning about how to be a citizen, how to be a disciple, how to just be a neighbor. So there we are in Tempe, in Tucson, Flagstaff, and now in the Polytech campus. You here at New Covenant understand this as well. As you have participated in Feed My Starving Children that serves neighbors far, or as you hosted your neighbors and had over 500 guests on this campus last week, or as you prepare those food boxes for families that you will not meet, but it is your gifts together that will serve the neighbor. It is a different way to look at life as the followers of Jesus. Jesus sees all that we have and realizes that all we have is a gift from God. And it is God's love that forgives us when we gorge ourselves or look to our own comfort and care. And God forgives us and continues to transform us from sinner into saint. In just a few minutes, again, we will have that life-giving transformation as we celebrate God's gift of grace and mercy. And we join the company of saints, those who've gone before us, those of us who are here right now, and those who will come after us. All of us forgiven and all of us loved to our very core. We will come around this table to remember that God's love is not limited by our standards. That in Jesus, God set a new standard. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Do to others as God has already done to you. Not so that you can become a saint, but because by God's grace, you already are. Thanks be to God.